Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Hello, and this is the final instalment, part three of the Dr. Mark Pack chat, <laughs> which does sound funny and strange. Uh, I've massively enjoyed parts one and two. I hope you have too. Been good getting feedback from you online. Remember, we are on Facebook and we are also on Twitter at Limehouse Pod. You have probably been listening via SoundCloud or iTunes. If you have, thank you. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes and feel free to do whatever you like in life. I hope you enjoy this chat. I will see you soon. Where do you think the core result for the general election 2015 came from? That that terrible uh, catastrophe that happened. Where do you think that started or how and when? Well, you can basically see the roots of it in May and June 2010. In that from the moment the party went into coalition after the 2010 general election, the party's support absolutely nosedived in the polls. So before Brown had published his report on tuition fees, before the NHS reforms had gone ahead, before welfare changes had happened, immediately the mere act of going into coalition with the Tories resulted in a huge dive in Liberal Democrat support. And to me, that is the core of the problem. And yes, it's true that afterwards we made mistakes and therefore we dropped a bit in support further. But had there been a general election where we'd got our June 2010 level of support, it would still have been a disaster. Okay, maybe a horrendous disaster rather than a catastrophe, but a disaster rather than a catastrophe. Either way, yes. the problem was already baked in. Why did our support nosedive the moment we actually had won, you know, won and got into some office and some power? I think it's because our support was based on two disparate to weaker coalition of some people who really hated the Tories, some people who really hated Labour, some people who really hated politicians of all sorts, and some people who actually really wanted the Liberal Democrats and Liberal Democrat policies. And in the strain of something like a hung parliament, that coalition just couldn't hold together. And therefore, I think the answer to your question, you know, the, the symptoms are there visible in May, June 2010, the roots run back prior to that, a consistent failure of the party to build up a larger core of people who supported us because they really support the Liberal Democrats. And you know, for people with longer political memories, I think this is best illustrated by 2005. In many ways, you would say 2005 has been our high point as the party. Charles Kennedy, very, you know, very popular politician in the country as a whole, largest number of MPs ever, not quite our highest share of the vote because it went up slightly higher in 2010, but our second highest, you know, at the sort of second highest of those two, although actually in 1983 we, we got slightly more votes as well. But, you know, high high share of the vote, uh, high, high number of MPs, really popular leader. And yet I think looking back, 2005 could have ended just as disastrously because if 2005 had been a hung parliament, I mean, we would have been faced with the question, well, what do you do when you've got a Labour Party led by Tony Blair fresh out of, fresh out of Iraq and a Conservative Party led by Michael Howard, who's just run a election campaign saying, are you thinking what I'm thinking about immigration? 
that would have been an utter disaster as well. So although there are definitely mistakes that Nick Clegg and his team made in the 2010 to 15 Parliament, my point is the underlying problem is having that weak coalition. And if you think, what on earth would we have done that would have been anything other than disastrous in a 2005 hung Parliament? I think that highlights it. That's why, you know, in the sort of last last year or year or two, David Howarth, our former MP for Cambridge, and I have done our pamphlet arguing the case for us to have a much more explicit core vote strategy because that is the solution to those problems. Yeah, you see that that's mm. what um, Bobby Dean, obviously a, a panel a panelist on the Limehouse podcast, mm. says. It has said to me when we first met mm. was we really need to work on getting our core mm. um, sorted out, and I think obviously. Um, is it identity? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've always identified as a liberal. Mm. I've never, you know, I'd, mm. I probably wouldn't think of voting any other mm. way, really. But it's to say, I mean, but I can completely what, mm. see what you're saying about going going into bed, as it mm. were, with the Tories. But I know that Nick Clegg um, uh, le- legitimately says, you know, we were faced with no other mm. op- options. Is it conceivable the going in with Brown would have been? And he would it have worked? Or would have he wouldn't have had enough MPs? It would have had to be a mm. rainbow coalition. So, would have it collapsed? Would it have been more favourable to the mm. public? Do you think? Well, in a way, I, I think the very question illustrates my point about how the problems were predated that were about the disparate nature of our support. Because, as as you rightly highlight with your question, it's really hard to see how a coalition with Labour would have worked because the numbers didn't quite add up. There were also, you may recall, a sequence of Labour MPs and former MPs appearing in the media immediately after polling day saying Labour shouldn't make a deal with the Liberal Democrats. Labour should you know, step aside. Uh, they shouldn't try to hold on to power. So not only was it a struggle to make the numbers add up, Labour weren't really that, you know, huge numbers of people in Labour weren't really that keen on the idea either. And therefore, the case was about as good as it could ever be that, OK, this is the party we have to go into coalition with. And yet, clearly, for our supporters, there were a huge chunk who thought, oh, my goodness, what the hell have you done? Yeah. And I mean, going back in a way to our earlier discussion, it might be tempting to blame the voter. Well, look, we were saying before the election, we would talk first to the party that gets the most votes and the most seats. The Tories were always well ahead. They got the most votes and seats. Why on earth were you horrified when we therefore did exactly what we said? Yeah. But be realistic, in a democracy, the level of attention that voters give to politics is what counts, not not what we sort of, you know, we, we, we wish would be different. And there was clearly something we had done wrong that meant that for a whole load of them, what seemed logical and inevitable was horrific and unexpected. Yeah. And if that you've got a mismatch between, of, of that scale, you've got to do things differently in future. If you, I mean, if you were going back to like mm. the present day, if you were, if you were a man, man on the street, mm. and someone came up to you, mm. Lib Dem pamphlet, mm. and just said, you know, what would be on that Lib Dem pamphlet now that would turn you onto the party, like with with Brexit in mind yeah. as well, obviously. I mean, at the moment, it very much is Brexit, and and yeah. one of the reasons I think Brexit is potentially so powerful for the party is that it, it, it ticks a series of options, of, of criteria. One is, it's a very important issue. And there are some things that are often very motivating for some Lib Dems, uh, often issues around civil liberties, for example, which not that much of the public thinks is an important issue, sadly. 
And so they're not a very good basis for really building the, a core vote. They can be part of it, but they're not really enough on their own. Okay, yeah. Brexit has the great advantage that it is an issue of really widespread public interest. Secondly, it's an issue on which we've got a very different approach from Tories and Labour particularly. It's harder for our colleagues in Scotland, we're both speaking in England, but it's harder for our colleagues in Scotland, where the SNP is also very clearly anti-Brexit party, for example, and similarly in Wales, it's not quite so straightforward. But in terms of that broad Westminster political stage, it's a lot better to have something that's clearly different from Labour and the Tories. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing that is really useful about it as an issue is that it's a policy that does also, in a way, summarise a wider attitude. It, um, often Liberal Democrats, who've been around for a while, like eulogising about the party's previous putting 1p on income tax for education policy. And that had a similar value um, to, to what I think Brexit has, in that it's not just a policy in itself, but that prioritising education, that's something about children, something about giving everybody a fair start in life, and being willing to take a potentially slightly uncomfortable, not political sort of conventional wisdom decision to raise taxes, that it, it illustrated a much wider set of things about our values yeah. and our, our, our view of society and the, the state of the country. Brexit, similarly, is, is, is in part a set of technical things about what should the terms of trade and what should the immigration rules be and so on. But it's also a broader sense of do we like cooperating with foreigners or are we sort of suspicious and hostile towards <laughs> yeah. it? it illustrates a, a liberal worldview or an illiberal worldview depending on which uh which position you take on the topic yeah. and, and what would you i mean i know at the moment we've had uh, the uh, front bench of uh, labor um sort of one one mm. by one mm. stepping aside yeah. stepping down how do you where do you where do you see that going I think, yeah, it, it's difficult i mean i have genuine sympathy, sympathy yeah. for for them because i think they're in a really difficult you know in a really difficult position particularly where if you are a sort of pro eu member of the labor party and may quite passionately believe it and for things that are very central to your core belief in politics so a lot of very pro remain labor figures are massively motivated by having seen all the good things the EU has done for workers' rights and protection of workers. So it's, you can see why they would feel really passionately about it. But also both the Labour leadership election, with Jeremy twice now, with Jeremy Corbyn winning, and the referendum went the other way. How do you reconcile your beliefs and your actions with three electoral defeats in that sense? That's, that's, that's difficult. I... I suspect we won't see the sorts of split in Labour that we saw that resulted in the creation of the STP, however, because when the STP was formed, the group of people who split away from Labour, there was a whole group of policies with which they agreed with the Liberal Party, and another set where there wasn't, it was as much that one party was really interested and the other wasn't that bothered. And there wasn't, there wasn't that much head-to-head -head disagreement. Uh, certainly, yeah, the people in the SDP were very clearly multilateralist, and there was a very strong unilateralist streak in the Liberal Party, but there were loads of multilateralists in the Liberal Party as well. Okay. So you could see how something new could happen because yeah. there were the, the sufficient overlap. At the moment, however, you look at the Labour MPs who are most sort of remain and you think might be most likely to break away, 
they're often the most illiberal on issues like civil liberties. Uh, it, weirdly, in some respects, Jeremy Corbyn's voting record you know, was most similar to Lib Dem MPs during the time of the last Labour government. Um, so there isn't anything like that same degree of overlap. And yeah. um, so I think we're probably unlikely to see that large scale breaking away of MPs okay. and much more likely to see a continuation of what we've seen in the last few months, which is the fracturing away you know, of, yeah. uh, with, with us now having by-elections in both Copeland and Stoke-on-Trent. Interesting, of course, that in both cases, the person has left because they've got you know, a really good career option outside politics. They're obviously not, neither of them were in the mindset of, you know what, there's a really winnable fight here and we're going to need everyone that we can on our side. It's not actually, sod this, sod this. I'm, I'm, I'm off. And fair enough. I mean, in both cases, from what I know of, of the jobs and the people, it looks like it's just the sort of job opportunity that, may, that you can easily understand somebody leaving an existing job for. Yeah. And obviously being an MP is a little bit different in that you are, there should be a strong implied contract that you'll do in it for four or five years. Um, so I'm always a bit iffy about MPs in that respect, leaving leaving early for, for job reasons. Yeah. But you, the, the, the bigger point is that they're clearly not up for a fight, a continuing fight in the Labour Party where you would say we want to really maximise yeah. our numbers. So how, I mean... How do you, how do you feel it going for um, for the Lib Dems if 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 we carry on sort of I know because we, we've got we've gone up a bit in the in the polls yeah. if we stay the same in the next six months to a year and we're still there what does that spell out do we need a different strategy do we to really get to where we want to be talk to that forty eight percent and like you said earlier where what's our strategy now I mean where, if if it doesn't start to work what's well I, I think you know your, your point about the opinion polls one is is well made because we have started to go up a bit but going up a bit means we're now normally in double figures <laughs> and yeah. that's a pretty low low bar to, to say hurrah it's quite normal for there to be two digits in the, in the Lib Dem poll rating yeah um, and there are some measures on which our recovery has been much greater membership highest that it's been this century local government by-elections the record's a bit patchy but for example this year uh we've had two really spectacular gains on mammoth swings and then two seats where there wasn't a Lib Dem candidate at all so you've yeah. got the sort of both both sides of, of of the picture there uh but clearly we are recovering in council by-elections national poll ratings however as you say are pretty pretty uh sort of weak um albeit less weak than they were before and more broadly speaking, if you look at poll questions, it's a real mishmash. Yeah. Um, if things like YouGov, who regularly ask which party do you think has the best policy on following areas, their their questions on Europe still show that the number of people who plump Lib Dem for that question is down in the single digits. It's not like post-referendum we've had a massive surge in that. On the other hand, there was also a YouGov poll that was asking how people would vote if there was a general election where the Lib Dems were the one party arguing for a referendum on the terms of the Brexit deal, that shoots the Liberal Democrats ahead of Labour and UKIP if, yeah. if, if Labour are, are not arguing for that. So there's a real uh, sort of uncertainty as to what the public think because you get a very different answer depending on exactly what question you ask. And, yeah. and that is a good febrile atmosphere because if you're wanting to recover, you don't want everything to be locked in stone. And we've seen with Whitney and we've seen with Richmond Park the, the upside of that. Um, but there's an awful lot still you know, still to do. Um, one of my reasons for optimism is that 
you can um, generally see a pattern that the Lib Dems do best in growing when at least one of the other major parties is really unpopular. And we've certainly got that as a criteria at the moment. But also the Tory support is pretty brittle. I mean, the Tories are, are you know, racking up huge opinion poll leads at the moment, but on what in the past would have been seen as only reasonably modest opinion poll ratings. So okay. In the high 30s, low 40s uh, is enough to win when you're up against a really unpopular opponent, but is not up in the sort of Tony Blair heyday or Margaret Thatcher heyday sort of levels of levels of support. And there are so many elements about how Theresa May goes about being prime minister that really have the feeling of the dog days of a party that's been in power for years and years, ironically, given that she's fresh in the post. But already, you know, that huge centralisation of decision making around her and two trusted advisers, the huge bottleneck in 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 getting anything done in government yeah. all of these things that you normally see at right at the tail end as everyone disappears into the bunker and the leads are surrounded by only a couple of really trusted acolytes and decisions pile up and not get made and they don't want to talk to the press because they all don't like the media we're not getting this after 10 years of Theresa May we've been getting this from day one of Theresa May so there is a real brittleness yeah. I think about the Tories plus of course things like the ongoing police investigation into numerous Tory MPs election expenses and all of that Sort of stuff. So I think there are lots of reasons to sort of think actually that broader landscape for the Dems is quite promising. Yeah. The big risk for us is that we sort of tootle along, recovering a bit like we recovered last year. Membership going up, racking up a few, you know, few extra council seats, maybe gain a, a, a good few score in the May local elections, running up a parliamentary by-election win now and again, and fall into therefore recovering and rebuilding in a way that keeps all the same flaws that we had before and that we therefore, you know, we've seen this picture before. Yeah. And we end up recovering and everything seems like it's going really well until <laughs> there's a moment that puts you absolutely on the spot. It might be a hung parliament. It might be a parliamentary vote in the end, at the end of a Brexit deal. Uh, you know, whatever the moment is, mm. that then that coalition fractures again. So we've got to be um, careful there. Yeah, so the risk is, I, I sort of coined this horrendously clunky phrase of sort of premature stachanovite optimism, oh by, by, which, by which I mean, <laughs> if I can break it down into something Please that's do. vaguely uh, understandable. Uh, there, there used to be this idea that just, you know, the way to win is to work really hard. And if we work really hard, we'll beat, you know, we'll win the ward, we'll win the by-election, we'll win the parliamentary seat, etc. So that stachanovite view of the world, we just have to, the harder we work, the better we do, and where we work, we win. And that's, you know, just get out, deliver some leaflets, canvas some more doorsteps. Um, and there was clearly then a long period of time where no matter how hard people work, they often ended up losing. And, I mean, you hear Tim Farron say about, it's great that where we work, we win is true now again. And that's true to an, to an extent. The risk is that we think, okay, brilliant we're back in the world where where we work we win it's true therefore just get to work and end up rebuilding what we had before and therefore we end up with the same uh, the same problems of what yeah. we had before because let's not forget that you know the high point the high point of liberal democracy if you think about it in terms of share of the vote you know we never got into a general election share of the vote that begins with a three let alone a four number of mps our high point was around one in ten MPs being Liberal Democrat. Council base, our high point was again 
the proportion of councillors across the UK being Liberal Democrat, it's a number that begins with a two, not a three, in terms of percentage. So our, it, if we're in the Tories or Labour eulogising about our past and those great things we did when we were winning landslide elections, yeah. several in a row, that's a reasonable past to aspire to in some ways. In the Lib Dem case, our high point is not, you know, our high points were admirable and huge amounts of hard work and brilliance went into achieving them but they were not high enough that we should simply seek to return to them we need to find a way of doing something better so that our high points are much higher bloody hell that sounds like you're almost pushing towards this something behind not you've got maybe you've got something up your sleeve i don't know but there's it's what we need like an event like obviously events shape mm. politics mm. everybody knows that but um something something else we've got to bring out uh, to really wow the people i don't know what that is to be honest Maybe well in a way uh, I've, we've we've got that material because we've got brexit we've got the disintegration of the labor party and we've got a very fragile tory government yeah you know, on a very small majority as well it's you know the way the government often behaves is as if it's got a landslide majority that they never have to worry about winning any votes in parliament but that's absolutely not the case um so that's about as good as as you can get. You know, a, one of the main parties really unpopular, the other in a quite a brittle state, and a really big issue on which we've got a distinctive position that both of the others, you know, have a have a different view from us on. Yeah. So I, it, it's not like we need some magic extra rabbit uh, <laughs> to pull out of the hat. Lots of rabbits have come out and are there. You know, rabbits all over the table. To make this analogy to breaking point. Uh, but it's what do we what do we do with the rabbit? Yeah, yeah, no, no, and it, I, that that's the thing about politics. It is so fascinating and so unbearably uh, awkward, frustrating mm. that you know, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, you get oh, that's what it did. All you needed was Neil Kinnock to mm. fall down on a beach, or you know that kind yeah. of thing, and oh, you know, re rewriting the history books and all that. Keen, you know, I'm keen a reader of your blog, and I just think, but now, God, you know, it's almost like you want to fast forward. Five minutes and go, oh, that's what it was mm. the Liberal Democrats did. Or is it, like you said, maybe it's just the slow grind, just keep going, yeah. keep going. And Well, certainly if we are successful in the next few years, that moment that I think you will turn back to was the decision to say the public should have a have a vote on what the act, you know, the outcome of the Brexit negotiations are. That, that would be that yeah. moment. It's too early to know for sure if that will turn out to be a significant turning point in British politics, particularly yeah. if that ends up in part being the fulcrum around which Labour disintegrate, uh, or whether it ends up being a footnote. Oh, by the way, there was this other party that said this. Um, mm. I think there are reasons for optimism that it's going to be more than an obscure footnote, but I think that is almost certainly the moment. Yeah. Right, well, there you go. One, two, three. All done and dusted. I hope you enjoyed it all. I will see you in another episode very shortly. I've got Jonathan Bartley coming up from, from the co-leader of the, the, the Green Party. And it was a fantastic walk we went on in Green Park. Very random. I couldn't really find anywhere to do the chat. And then I thought, well, you know, everybody loves a walk. You know, half the time I'm outside anyway and I get all my best thinking done outside. So I thought, let's do it. So we went on a walk and we had a great chat. And I can't wait to bring you that that recording. So in the meantime, stay in touch. As always, we're on the Facebooks. The, 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 you've got your Facebooks, your, your, your Twitters, 
your SoundClouds, your iTunes, your, your Lampards, your Gerards, your Roonies. Um, and, and yeah, just do, do what do what you can, stay in touch, leave reviews, spread the word. And if you've got any I don't know, ideas or input that you want to, to give us, please do. The Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com. Now, in the meantime, stay classy, look after yourself, look after others, and keep smiling, okay? Keep smiling. This is the Limehouse Podcast, and you have been beautiful. <laughs>